That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi, and I produce and host this podcast because I was one mile from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened. And I know that with 104 nuclear reactors all over the United States, plus radioactive sites and reactors around the world, whether you can hear those sirens or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Today is Tuesday, January 31st, 2012, day 330, that's 330 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th of 2011, and here is the latest nuclear news. We're starting out with a breaking story that is a call for action as well because anti-nuclear activists in Kukandulam, uh, India, have been attacked while on their way to a meeting with the government. Representatives of People's Movement Against Nuclear Energy, referred to as PMAIN, which is spearheading the campaign to stop the Kudankulam nuclear plant, and 20 women accompanying the leaders have been attacked by gundas, which are hired thugs, near El Veli. Um, the collectorate was on their way to talk with the central government expert panel. The women who tried to offer to shield the PMAIN representatives have been beaten up and they are now in the hospital. Along with the gundas were local Congress leaders. The central panel and central government have refused to meet with the movement's expert panel and have an open discussion. The Kudankulam anti-nuclear protest has stood out as a symbol of nonviolent protest with no violent action happening from the movement. The movement has withdrawn from talks after the incident and protests are now happening in Turanil Valley, pardon my pronunciation there, and other southern districts in India condemning the attacks. Uh, there will be contact information that we can use to uh, put our voices to this, and it will be posted on Nuclear Hot Seat on the Facebook group page after, um, uh, after this podcast is concluded. In the United States, on Monday, a nuclear reactor in northern Illinois shut down after losing power, and radioactive steam was vented to reduce pressure on the plant. Unit 2 at Byron Generating Station, which is about 95 miles northwest of Chicago, shut down at 10.18 in the morning after losing power. The steam that was released contains tritium, a radioactive form of hydrogen. The U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission declared the incident an unusual event, which is the official title for the first of four levels of emergency. Commission officials also said the release of tritium was expected. NRC spokeswoman Victoria Mitlying said officials can't yet calculate how much tritium is being released. They're saying uh, officially that there's no danger from the tritium. However, according to Dr. Helen Caldicott, Tritium is radioactive hydrogen. It is perceived by the body as identical to the hydrogen in water. That means it can go anywhere in your body that water can go, and water is a component of every cell within our bodies. For those who still believe that tritium is benign, know that it is also the form of hydrogen that is used in the hydrogen bomb. That's an ongoing story in uh, Byron, Illinois, and I take this personally. I have family living very close by. Now to Japan, 
where the stricken power plant at Fukushima has leaked more than 600 liters of radioactive water, forcing it to briefly suspend cooling operations at a spent fuel pond over the weekend. The leakage is believed to have been caused by freezing due to cold weather, and the leaked water included radioactively contaminated water that has been purified. The question is, how much radioactive material remains after cesium quote-unquote purification? According to the Asahi newspaper, in December, contaminated water containing strontium, whose concentration level was one million times higher than the government safety standard, leaked into the sea. Now, TEPCO has admitted that their employees suggested covering the pipes or setting heaters out so that the pipes would not get frozen. But even though the suggestions began last summer, TEPCO kept ignoring them. According to one employee, quote, the pipes are exposed to the outside. It was predicted that the pipes would get frozen and cause water leakage. As a result of doing nothing for several months, there are at least 23 points identified so far that have been leaking water. This is as of yesterday, Monday, the 30th of January. The pipe is outside and it runs for further than 10 kilometers, which means that water leakage will happen every day during this cold weather. Also in Japan, a little bit better news is that Japan will lose its last nuclear-generated power station in April at the current rate of shutting down reactors for safety checks, cheering opponents of the industry since the Fukushima disaster while adding to concern about potential blackouts. The country has just three of its 54 reactors currently producing electricity after one more unit was idled for maintenance on Friday, January 27th. With one exception, no reactors taken offline since the March 11 disaster have been allowed to restart as they await results of so-called stress tests. As of today, meaning Tuesday the 31st, only 6.4% of Japanese's almost 50,000 megawatts of nuclear capacity remain online. The remaining three reactors are due to go offline for regular checks during the next three months, which would render Japan nuclear-free. Now, in a counter-move by the government, on Thursday, Japan welcomed the International Atomic Energy Agency delegation it invited to check the safety procedures on its third largest nuclear power plant, a move designed to pave the way for the restart of dozens of idled reactors around the country. But according to Masashi Goto, a former reactor designer, quote, the tests are nothing but an optimistic desk simulation based on the assumption that everything will happen exactly as assumed. He added that these tests do not include margins for human error, design flaws, or combinations of both. And it has been charged that the two government advisors on, two government advisors on the checks, including Mr. Goto, said that Japan's safety review of nuclear reactors since Fukushima is based on faulty criteria, and many people involved have conflicts of interest. Now, the other uh, expert advisor, uh, Hiromitsu Ino, who's Professor Emeritus at the University of Tokyo, said at a briefing in Tokyo on January 26th, quote, the whole process being undertaken, meaning the checks, are exactly the same that, you, that were used previously to Fukushima Daiichi accident, even though the accident showed that all these guidelines and categories are insufficient. As it is, the stress tests are just being used as an excuse to restart the reactors. 
Beyond that, uh, the Numbnuts Award of the Week goes again to uh, Fukushima because uh, the government has launched an all-out uh, PR campaign. Uh, this is being sponsored both the, by both the Japanese national government and the Fukushima prefectural government. It's a PR campaign for the people in Fukushima who remain in the province. And as part of the campaign, uh, they are holding forums for the residents in locations inside Fukushima so that the residents can feel safe and secure without worrying while they are living in radioactive Fukushima. Uh, this is being considered by many Japanese to be comparable to the quote-unquote safety campaign featuring Dr. Shunichi Yamashita in late March, who, as heavy radioactive fallout was descending on Fukushima, was assuring people that there was really no danger that they were facing. Uh, the uh, These meetings are being pre-programmed with questions that people are being expected to ask, including uh, are there health risks from radiation exposure other than cancer? And the answer, which is government approved and uh, presumably TEPCO approved as well, is that health risks such as heart attacks and cataracts only appear in the case of high radiation exposure exceeding 500 millisieverts, and we believe there is no need to consider them in a low-level radiation exposure. This in the face of the fact that uh, radioactivity is uh, bioaccumulates in the body. According to Physicians for Social Responsibility, there is no such thing as a safe level uh, below which radioactive exposure uh, can be tolerated by human beings. So basically the government is continuing its policy of lying and covering up in its attempt to put the best possible face on the worst possible nuclear accident and the worst industrial accident that has ever happened on the face of the planet. This according to nuclear expert uh, Arnie Gunderson and many others. So let's shift focus because we have a wonderful interview today with Paul Fry. Is it Fry or Frey? Uh, Fry. Fry, thank you. Paul Fry is an organic farmer and winemaker who, with his family, runs Fry Vineyards, an organic winery located in Mendocino County in Northern California. A longtime anti-nuclear activist, he has voiced specific concerns about what a meltdown at either or both of California's nuclear reactors would mean to the state's agriculture and economy. And that's what he's here to share with us today. Paul Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Yeah, thanks for having us. Wonderful. So how did you first get involved as an anti-nuclear activist? Well, it's way back in 78. You know, it was clear back then, you know, that, that you know, the inherent dangers in, in nuclear as far as from an engineering standpoint, from any standpoint, you know, it'll, it'll never be safe um, because of terrorism and, and just every possible, you know, human error. Um, so in 78, uh, we were involved in trying to shut down um, Diablo Canyon and, and, and was at some of the, the – the, uh, we climbed over the front gate and um, along with 500 other people um, because it was clear that, you know, it wasn't the future <laughs> direction to go um, back then. And you were how old at the time? Um, I was 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you were arrested at that time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's correct. Mm -hmm. So you went on to study physics at Orange Coast College in Costa Mesa. So you have a scientific approach to uh, radiation damage as well. And I'm wondering, um, what is the risk here in California? Uh, should there be an accident at either Diablo Canyon or San Onofre or, heaven forbid, both? 
Oh yeah, well, well, the risks are clear. Basically, all you need to do is, is is take the fallout map from Fukushima as well as the fallout map from Chernobyl, and you, you superimpose that um, with the with the you analyze the wind directions in California, which most of the time you know blow inland. With Fukushima, it was the exact opposite. Most of the time, it blows out into the ocean. But in California, it's going to be uh, exactly the opposite. Ninety-five percent of the time, it'll be going inland. Whereas in Fukushima, 95% of the time it was blowing into the Pacific Ocean. And so what you do when you take those fallout maps, um, you get a map that um, unfortunately um, fills up, you know, the, the whole L.A. basin and also San Diego. And then it also fills up what's called the Central Valley uh, Basin, the, the great Central Valley of California. is basically a big bowl. And um, it's interesting. There was just a, a study uh, dated January 8th from Phys.org, which is a good website on physics and in all topics. And the air basically sat there for a month in the southern end of the San Joaquin Valley, basically from Modesto southward. But you'd also get some drift up towards Sacramento. And what happens is the air just sits there for a month, and um, if Diablo Canyon melted down in an eight earthquake because it's not made to withstand an eight, um, you would have all the radioactive fallout spill into that bowl, and it would fill that bowl. And um, Diablo Canyon only has one road going to it, so if the roads were damaged, you, you might have basically what you call a nuclear fire burning possibly for months, you know, feeding into that bowl. Or if it rained, then you get what's called a rain out where um, you know, it then hits the ground much more quickly. And so the L.A. Basin, the same thing, with San Onofre, um, which unfortunately is built on what appears to be sand when you when you look at it from any pictures or from Google Earth. And what sand does in an earthquake is it does, um, you get oscillations uh, set up um, that isn't the same as when you have something built on rock. Um, so you have a very dangerous situation there with i believe about 10 million people in the in the local 50 to 70 mile radius um so obviously uh, the topic really is you know a threat to people but also food so the topic you could really say would be nuclear food um because if your food is you know is contaminated then of course it's not much help um you know <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it definitely it. irradiation is not anything that I would want in in my food. Now, going back to the map, you said uh, you have created a map, have you not, that shows what the radiation patterns would be from the nuclear reactors and uh, where they would be where they would be flowing and concentrating. Do you have that map available? Um, It'll be available online on our Facebook page in the next couple of days. Um, my brother is the webmaster here, and, and he's got to stick it on there. Um, so, so like I said, it's basically an exact copy of fallout patterns from Chernobyl or Fukushima superimposed and, and after analyzing wind patterns. Um, and it pretty much is, is all the agricultural land in the state. And... And the biggest population densities is, is what gets covered as far as fallout. And now, this fallout in Japan, they call it 
they were calling it death ash in a, in an article in a in an in a article they did in 2009 one of the bigger stations called it death ash and since fukushima nobody's used the word death ash and in america they call it hot particles because the ash has uh nuclear particles that can bombard your tissue once you in- inhale the hot particles. They also call them in nuclear power plants. They call them nuclear fleas. Um, if there's these particles stuck on pipes or whatever, they're very easy to pinpoint because your Geiger counter can pick it up. Uh, but right, the Geiger counter would go nuts at that point. And I know that yeah, um, Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds has spoken extensively on um, hot particles and the damage they do and, um, uh, and the damage we face. What would an accident do to the agriculture in California and beyond that to the economy and the image even of California? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, let's start with uh, organic agriculture because that's what we do. But it's not just organic. Of course, it would be affected. But but basically, it, it, uh, it would make the the term organic meaningless in California because these 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 things are taken up by plants. See, cesium uh, mimics potassium in the soil, and then strontium mimics calcium. So you have your radioactive cesium and strontium that are in the soil, and what you find is the plants take all that up. And it's quite frightening because what they're finding in Fukushima now is the pollen in the spring, the pollen for some reason you know, concentrates either calcium or potassium um, normally, but the plant thinks it's getting the potassium or calcium, but instead it's getting the cesium, radioactive cesium and strontium. So what happens then is you would have, especially a place like the Central Valley where you already have, I think it has three times the asthma of any of the average in the rest of the U.S. because, as we mentioned, it's a bowl like with a lid on it that uh, like a pot, mm-hmm. and w- once the smoke settles in there, it, it's stuck if you have the, the the wrong weather weather conditions. And as you know, the LA Basin is is very similar. Uh, the Central Valley is much bigger, but the LA Basin has many more people. So as far as agriculture, the Central the Valley of California um, could get quite contaminated. So first of all, the word organic would be meaningless if you sold stuff from California to other places, and then. Just agriculture in general. Um, um, I've read one statistic where uh, California grows, I believe, 20 to 25 percent of all the fruits and vegetables for the whole country, for all of America. And um, so it would be, it would be pretty much a, you know. It would, it would it would wipe out our economy. It would it would do irreparable damage to our economy, to our our food supply. And not just for a single growing season, but ongoing for as long as the radioactivity is still active, which is thousands of years. Yeah, so so it would be definitely, you know, as we mentioned, in a worst-case scenario, um, one of the other uh, interesting statistics um, is um, now Chernobyl. Now, now, these are low numbers because the real numbers might not be on for a long time. Chernobyl had the equivalent of 400 Hiroshima bombs of nuclear ash. You know, of course, there wasn't the detonation and the, and the shock wave and the explosions of a 
Hiroshima bomb, but it was the equivalent amount of nuclear ash um, of 400 Hiroshima's. That was Chernobyl in 86. Um, Fukushima, the low number, and I, and I believe it might be the, only the number of what actually landed in Japan when the wind was blowing, you know, 5% of the time to the west, um, the, the lowest number. But, again, I'll tell you why in a moment why these numbers are low and probably wrong. But the low figure was that Fukushima was 128 Hiroshima bombs of nuclear ash or fallout. So if someone would have told you, would tell you last March 11th that, you know, oh, there's a small-scale nuclear war in Japan where 128 cities, you know, uh, you know, 128 bombs would have gone off. Yeah, that much ash is coming this way. That I think that would have surprised quite a few people. But instead, the way it was in the news was, you know, oh, well, three months into it, they said, oh, it looks as though there was three three meltdowns. They didn't really say there was meltdowns until three months later. Well, this whole situation has been managed from the start so that people wouldn't be alarmed, even though alarm is an appropriate response to a situation that's dangerous. And uh, with the government damping down the statistics and uh, to try and keep everybody managed, uh, we're all being exposed to greater and greater levels of risk, and no one is taking responsibility for it. And I want to go back to the reason why those are low numbers, the 400 equivalents, Hiroshima bombed of Chernobyl and 128 for Fukushima, is that they probably won't know the amount of, of nuclear burning that burned, you know, that burned the atmosphere for 30 years because they're going to first have to, have to measure and take out the molten material in what's called the corium. The corium is what melted through the, the containment. So some people think the real number of Fukushima might be up to one to two thousand or more Hiroshima bombs released, but, but but again, they might not even get to the corium for ten years to even look at it. So the real the real data might not be out for thirty years. As I said, one twenty eight is is the low number for Fukushima. Well, we've been following all of these stories on uh, nuclear hot seat, and this is the first time I've heard that particular astonishing equation that Chernobyl was the equivalent of 400 Hiroshima's and Fukushima, at least thus far, is at least 128 Hiroshima bombs going off. Let's shift the focus a little bit because I know that you have uh, become active uh, again in, or perhaps continuously in fighting against uh, potential nuclear disaster. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of the actions that you have taken and what you're doing to try and get us out of this mess as any good citizen would. Yeah, so we're involved in the California Nuclear Initiative now, which looks like the best quick approach to to stop this this what we call the gambling away of of the future of California it, it's just not now the people are gambling because the people have have the ability to vote this this thing away come November so the question is do all of us as a people want to stop this to to gamble away the great the great you know uh, internationally known state you know, as what we call the Golden State of California, which is known for, for being pristine and clean, 
Yosemite, you know, Sequoia National Park, Hollywood, Los Angeles. Well, I don't know if Hollywood could be considered pristine, but it certainly is of interest. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, the place, uh, what they say is California leads the world in a lot of areas, and it's the eighth largest economy. And here's another interesting statistic. Germany is about the fifth largest economy. They did a study, this is a government study, to analyze what would be the cost to Germany in the worst-case meltdown accidents. And the number was astounding, and this is why Germany is phasing out all their nuclear plants. They shut down seven right away, and they're phasing them all out by 2022. Um, what they found was the total damage in the worst-case nuclear meltdown scenario or terrorist meltdown scenario would be $11 trillion. And that's the fifth largest economy, and we're the eighth largest economy. So if you want to just do your own guessing as far as how damaging it would be to the eighth largest economy in the world, you can't put a dollar number on a beautiful state like this, really. I mean, how can you put a number on, you know, you know, contaminating the golden state of California. You'd have to give it a different name, you know. And it's not just California because this would be international because certainly the radiation does not stop at the borders of the state. The food contamination would take that much food either out of um, our food chain, which would do horrible things to the cost of food elsewhere. But, of course, the danger is that, the government might do the same thing that it's doing in Japan, which is just recycling the food into things like children's lunches, so that it's internal contamination coming from that. And we would be in a science fiction future as opposed to anything that we would currently recognize, because it would it, it would inalterably change life on planet Earth. We're not just talking about a little oops accident at a nuclear plant in the neighborhood. We're talking about something that will change the course of where the world and its people and its living creatures are going. And you're right, that's that's nothing to gamble with. Yeah, well, it's time for California to sort of take a, you know, if we are the eighth, you know, largest economy, you know, to take a leadership role toward, you know, the direction that we're going to we're going to take things in the future. Um, they just installed about, you know, uh, the equivalent of about one to two billion watts of solar power, you know, in the desert, you know, to the east of California. A billion watts is basically one nuke. You know, each one is about a gigawatt. Um, and it only takes months to, to, to put up, you know, some of these, these solar installations, whereas nuclear plants take 10 years and then they're, you know, their decommissioning is pretty much into the foreseeable future. Um, so it, California, you know, as a people, now you know we we have the choice to to sort of set the direction, and the world will watch what we're we're doing, and um, you know try to go in that right direction. Well, we certainly have the opportunity to take a leadership stance by, first of all, getting the signatures that are required to get this on the ballot, which is slightly in excess of 500,000 registered California voters um, with approved signatures, which means we need to get something over 700,000 signatures on the um, uh, initiative. And then this fall, do everything we can to get it passed, despite the fact that we're going to be up against uh, some pretty, um, pretty high-powered and pretty moneyed opposition. 
but I believe you've also been involved in uh, a movement uh, involving GMOs where you were where David was able to beat Goliath. Yeah, yeah. I think that people can can do that here, and and the best way to do that, as you mentioned earlier, is um, you know, you go to CaliforniaNuclearInitiative.com. And you can download the petitions. You can turn out, if you have your own printer at home, you can make your own petitions. And it's really a grassroots thing now with the Internet where, you know, you have your, your family sign it, your relatives, your neighbors, and urge them to also print some out or, or give them copies. So uh, next week at the winery here on the 11th, Saturday the 11th, um, we're having an organic pizza, pizza, uh, California nuclear initiative meeting and um, we're going to hand out packets and the packets will be ready made um, so that you have your signature sheet with the with the the initiative on it and clear instructions on how to get more off the internet and um, that can really happen in like a you know no pun intended but like a chain reaction where you you can get enough people um, to get this thing you know by April 2nd um, they're requesting to have uh, the petitions in, and then they have to truck them up uh, to uh, Sacramento um, and make this thing happen. Um, yeah, if, if things work out, you, you, you know, we could label GMOs by November and have these these very dangerous uh, nuclear plants, which are basically pretty much on earthquake faults. I mean, you know, a few hundred yards mm-hmm. in the case of Diablo Canyon, and uh, it's about four to five miles away, but it's it's under the ocean is the big one near San Onofre. Yeah, so so it, it's clearly a threat, and, and Southern California is uh, due for some some major quakes. Um, the Carrizo Plain, which is just right east of Diablo Canyon in San Luis Obispo County, is actually due for you know a, a pretty good sized quake. So it's just not worth the gamble. You know, you just don't gamble away. You know something like California for a few years of, of of extra nuclear power that solar can replace, you know, in one year. Um, there's solar companies chomping at the bit to, to install, uh, you know, more wattage out there in the desert. And um, um, Warren Buffett just invested about a billion or, or more in some of them. So you got some big players involved with this solar thing. And um they, they just simply don't need those plants sitting by those faults. Um, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to realize, you know. Well, unfortunately, we 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 have um, it's the financial interests that are working against us. But I again, with the image of David and Goliath, the thing to remind people of is that David won. And we have the ability to do this. So, Paul, if we were going to support you and the work that you are doing or alert people to the opportunity, um, what would be the best way for us to do this? The best way to do this, well, well, first you'd say anybody who loves good food or wine or, you know, a clean state, um, pristine environment, um, should go to the California Nuke nuclearinitiative.com and and start doing those petitions with with your starting with your family, your friends, your neighbors um 
and any kind of uh, you know if you know the Twitter and, and Facebook thing, you know I'm not well versed in that, but um, where it, it can spread very quickly, you know, with the, the new generation of as long as we make the point that these that these petitions must be signed in physical yeah. copy, they cannot be signed online. Yeah. So we really do have to print out and get signatures, and only registered California voters can sign, and they all have to be in the same county on any given piece of paper that's a petition. Yeah, and and their website clearly has an instruction page that shows you step-by-step step how to do it correctly so that it will be approved when they, when they send the signatures to Sacramento. So, so that's really, you know, the best we can do is just spread the word, you know, via internet, via telephone, um, uh, just friends and neighbors. Um, we have 300 pamphlets going out. There's an eco farm conference happening tomorrow in Monterey. It's all the, you know, it's called the Ecological Farming Organization. There's hundreds of people there, so we're making 300 ready-made pamphlets for them, so that they can pass them out to their friends and go to all the different mm-hmm. parts of the state. You know, uh, I, I think that the mathematics are on our side because if it is, if one becomes two and two becomes four and we keep duplicating it that way, uh, it's entirely possible that we can have, the, have enough signatures that this gets on the ballot in the fall. And, uh, and that will really be David and Goliath, but again, David won. So, Paul, I would like to thank you very much for having been the interview today. Uh, Paul Fry is an organic farmer and winemaker who, with his family, runs Fry Vineyards and is very involved with the campaign to get the California Nuclear Initiative on the ballot this fall. And, Paul, I would like to invite you to stay on the rest of the podcast because we still have news and information coming. Great. I look forward to it. You, you, you do a wonderful show. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Well, let's just keep some information flowing now. There's a, we've got about 10 minutes left, and then we'll be out. So uh, moving on to uh, Japan, uh, scientists are studying how radiation has affected plants and animals living near the crippled Fukushima nuclear plant, according to a government official on Monday. That was yesterday, January 30th. Researchers are examining field mice, red pine trees, a certain type of shellfish, they haven't identified which one, and other wild flora and fauna in and around the 20-kilometer no-go zone surrounding the plant. Uh, This is according to the Environmental Ministry. The researchers are studying the impact of high radiation levels by examining the appearance, reproductive function, and possible abnormalities in chromosomes. They will also grow seeds from plant samples and monitor the offspring of animals in the research. The study began in November, and the initial report on the findings is expected in March. Now, that's the information that's getting out. Some information is not getting out. That uh, the Manichi newspaper in South Okinawa deleted an article about contaminated food in school lunches. Uh, in South Okinawa, it was discovered that contaminated king trumpet mushrooms were used in school lunch after having students already eating it. Um, this was uh, the, infra- the mushrooms were grown in Nagano, and they contain 1.12 becquerels of kilogram uh, per kilogram of cesium. 
This news was reported on the 29th of January in the Manichi newspaper, but it almost immediately removed the article after posting it online. So whether this was forced censorship or voluntary censorship, we don't know. But again, another block to the information getting out in Japan about what the people are actually facing. Back here in the United States, uh, federal authorities have approved a license allowing up to 1,000 tons of low-level radioactive waste from Germany to be brought across the ocean to Oak Ridge, Tennessee for incineration. The U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission's decision has some environmental groups calling the plan unhealthy and a possible gateway for highly radioactive waste to be reprocessed or recycled in East Tennessee's Atomic City. That's the colloquial name for it. Uh, the chairman of the Tennessee Environmental Council told the Chattanooga Times Free Press that the Czech government turned away the German waste, and Utah did everything in its power to avoid receiving the ash left behind after incineration at Oak Ridge, forcing most of it to be shipped back to Germany. Because the, because the licenses have been approved but not yet signed, the company has not confirmed import dates for the waste. Tennessee is the only state that allows commercial burning of radioactive waste, licensing six incinerators. The state already receives 75% of the nation's low-level radioactive waste, about 41 million pounds per year, according to state records. Um, we have on Nuclear Hot Seat also covered stories about both France and Pakistan shipping its nuclear waste to the United States so that we could get rid of it. Uh, this is a legacy of the Atoms for Peace program that Eisenhower started back in the 1950s. In Florida, Progress Energy plans to cancel the main development and construction contract for its proposed nuclear plant in Levy County, Florida. Now, that may seem to be good news, but the bad news is that the customers of Progress Energy will still have to keep paying for the plant in advance. So far, Progress has spent more than $1.1 billion on the development and planning of the Levy County nuclear project, with excuse me, $545 million coming from its customers. Now, this is through the end of 2011. Progress's 1.6 million customers in Florida will eventually pay the remaining $555 million as well. This for energy that was once called too cheap to meter. The advance fee resulted from legislation passed by state lawmakers in 2006 to allow the utilities to collect money for customers for future construction of nuclear power plants. Proponents said paying for the project as you go would speed up construction and save money in the financing of the plants, but this has not been the fact. In 2006, Progress said the project would cost $4 billion to $6 billion and open in 2016. After many shifts in their timeline and their pricing, as of 20, as of last year, uh, they said that the date was moved to 2021. It could be as late as 2027. And as of last year, the price projections reached as high as 22 billion, and there is no end in sight. Uh, according to Senator Mike Fasano of uh, the state legislature in Florida, they've made a mess of this whole process. I believe they knew a long time ago that they would never build these plants. It's time for Progress Energy to refund the money the ratepayers have paid for power plants that will never be built. However, under nuclear fee law, none of the money Progress has spent on Levy or that it has collected has to be refunded, even if the utility never builds the plant. 
This is not unlike, in my opinion, uh, the part of the movie and the stage play of the producers where it was discovered that more money was to be made by not opening the Broadway musical than by opening it. In New Jersey, there has been a report released by the New Jersey Public Interest Research Group and the Policy Center an Environment New Jersey Research and Policy, uh, Policy Center called Too Close to Home. Uh, this was released on uh, Friday, January 27th, and in this report it stated that drinking water for nearly 3.3 million New Jersey residents could be at contamination risk from a radiation leak at a nearby nuclear power plant. Nationwide, about 49 million Americans live within a 50-mile radius of a nuclear power plant. That was the radius determined for Americans living in Japan after Fukushima. And these Americans all depend on drinking water sources that reside within that 50-mile radius. The report also notes that majority of radiation released from nuclear power plants come from leaked tritium, not unlike the plant in Byron, uh, leaked tritium, which is a radioactive form of hydrogen. Tritium leaks have already been reported near the sites of both nuclear power plant complexes in New Jersey, Oyster Creek and Salem. The report recommends that the county phase out nuclear power and increase other alternative energy sources as an overall solution. The report also recommends that the county should conduct a thorough safety review of nuclear power plants and ensure that emergency plans account for the potential impact to the drinking water supplies for residents who live both inside and outside the 50-mile radius. In Canada, uh, someone has dug up an interesting link to um, the costs of Three Mile Island uh, that was reported by Canadian Broadcasting in 2008. It originally aired on October 13th of, uh, excuse me, that was the date that this was uh, sent out. Uh, it was originally aired on October 13th of 1986. Now, it's commonly said in the pro-nuclear camp that nobody was hurt, nobody was injured, there were no health impacts from Three Mile Island. However, in this radio report from Canadian Broadcasting, it was stated that infant mortality rates doubled, there was an enormous increase in cancer deaths, including leukemia, in children in the four counties surrounding Three Mile Island compared to the numbers previous to the incident. Animals and plant damage was substantial. There were many mutations. And on the farms closest to Three Mile Island, all birds disappeared. Plus, in many trees, there was complete defoliation at different levels. So the link to this audio report, it's a series of four one-hour audios, uh, will be posted on the Nuclear Hot Seat group page. I always like to include some holistic information about what we can do to improve our health and um, forestall any illness, most specifically cancer, which is the uh, number one risk that we face from exposure to radioactivity from uh, nuclear power plants. And uh, this one is about yerba mate, which is a traditional South American infused drink. It's a tea that is the daily equivalent of coffee in that in the here in the United States. According to a study from the University of Illinois, my alma mater, uh, yerba mate is also a cancer killer. Scientists have shown that human colon cancer cells die when they are exposed to the approximate number of bioactive compounds present in a single cup of this tea. 
Yerba mate tea contains significant levels of polyphenol antioxidants and has a slightly higher antioxidant capacity than green tea. According to the study, the caffeine derivatives in mate tea not only induced death in human colon cancer cells, they also reduced important markers of inflammation. And that the study shows that some of the most important antioxidant enzymes in the body are induced by this herbal tea. So if you wish to, again, boost your immune system, which is one of the actions that we can take on our own behalf so that we can be resistant to any incidence of cancer that might be caused by radiation, yerba mate tea is an easy way to do it. You can get it at most health food uh, stores, and it is not expensive. Now, for all you activists and would-be activists out there, we are coming up on March 11th, which marks the one-year anniversary of the start of the Fukushima tragedy. There is an international call for people to create events on and around Sunday, March 11th, that will highlight what is going on in Japan and the ongoing risks of nuclear energy here in the United States and in your own country. We do have international listeners to this podcast. If you or your group are planning any activities for March 11th, please, Contact me here at Nuclear Hot Seat. You can do so on Facebook on the Nuclear Hot Seat group page, or you can uh, send the information to NuclearHotSeat.com and post in the comments section there. We would be happy to post that information and hook you up with others who are interested in your area. So a final thought for today, uh, and this was taken from the comments section of enenews.com, which is a superb site for anyone who is interested in following what is going on in the nuclear world on a day-by-day basis. Um, I give myself some nuclear-free days in the course of the week. Uh, I declare myself a nuclear-free zone. Um, But in truth, um, I'm on it most days checking the news. And this was a comment somebody posted. They said, Just a couple of years ago, doctors in New York found a spike of thyroid cancer in and around New York. Confused about what might have been causing it, they researched and found that there had been an increase in Russian immigrants in the area during a period before that, and that the clusters of cancer were concentrated to them. These immigrants were all in and around the Chernobyl area. If immigrants from Russia had a cancer rate large enough to affect the statistics of a large city like New York to the extent that researchers started to worry about what was going on, then I think the problems with iodine-131 and 123 exposed thyroids is a very real problem. And this is Libby speaking. I do agree, and I think we all need to do everything in our power to keep ourselves healthy, to make certain that there is natural iodine within our diet from seaweed, from supplements, uh, rather than going the pill form, and um, keeping ourselves healthy so that we can keep fighting against this nuclear horror that has been uh, bequeathed to us by some really stupid, not far-sighted people. So in closing, this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, January 31st, 2012, day 330-330 since the Fukushima tragedy began last year, and there is no end in sight. You can find Nuclear Hot Seat and links to previous programs by going to the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page or NuclearHotSeat.com. We're up on iTunes, and you can subscribe to these podcasts for free, so you never need miss a single podcast, and you can go back through the archives and download any of the previous ones you wish to check out. If you have a lead to a story 
or information to share, or a wonderful interviewee you think would be great to have on the podcast, please join me and join with the growing army of on-the-ground reporters around the world for Nuclear Hot Seat. Send me a message on any of the previously mentioned uh, formats, and I will get back to you. This is Levi Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, whatever you do, do not go back to sleep. Be safe, be well, and I will speak with you again next week.